Welcome to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. Marketing is our passion, and as a chapter, we hope to inspire dialogue, fuel creativity, and create a community for marketers everywhere. Let the inspiration and dialogue begin. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is ama.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe to our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Hello, we're your Marketers in Motion podcast hosts. I'm Josh Janowiak. And I'm Megan Pear. Today's topic, swimming through data, demystifying the complex simplicity of data-driven marketing. Data-driven marketing is a broad term referring to the process by which insights from data analysis are used to build targeted marketing campaigns. This process is both art and science. It blends the logical disciplines of data extraction and analysis with the -the out-of-the-box creativity of which data to unearth, which types of clues to search for within the data mounds, and how to use those insights to your advantage. Takeaways from today's discussion will include understanding the basic philosophical concepts behind successful data-driven marketing, and that they often have very little to do with the data itself, recognizing that there are many aspects to a successful data-driven marketing approach that require constant assessment and refinement rather than just one cookie-cutter playbook, and recognizing the early warning signs that your data-driven marketing campaign may not be on track. Before we jump into that, though, we always want to thank our amazing sponsors who support our podcast and our entire AMA West Michigan season. So, of course, thank you to our podcast sponsor, River City Studios. They offer recording, mixing, and mastering for podcasts, TV, film, radio, and musicians. Make sure you check them out on rivercitystudios.com. We'd also like to thank our annual sponsors. Again, without them, none of what we do could be possible. So thank you to our gold sponsors, MIBiz, our silver sponsors, Bird and Bird Studio, and Red 66 Marketing, and our bronze sponsors, Grand Valley State University Conference and Event Planning, and K&J's Apparel and Promotions. We're now into our fourth official season of the Marketers in Motion podcast and we're looking for your feedback on the podcast and how it's evolved over the past few years. How often do you listen? Do you feel the content is valuable to you as a marketer? How can we improve the quality of our content? Click the survey link in the show notes of this podcast and share your thoughts. If you want to share your contact information, we'll actually enter you for a chance to win a ticket to one of our upcoming events. If you're local, we'll give you a ticket to join us in person for very tasty lunch. And uh, if not, we'll give you a free virtual ticket. For our future AMA members, you can log on to amawestmichigan.org to join our local West Michigan chapter. If you're not in West Michigan, visit ama.org for AMA national information and to find a chapter near you. Free training, certifications, tools, resources, discounts, academic journals, job boards, and networking opportunities, all available for only $150 a year or just 41 cents per day. It's a great deal, Megan. It is. Love being a part of this organization. Love it. Keith Brothy is a West Michigan-based entrepreneur with a background of building various nationally focused businesses. Keith is currently COO at ADHD Online, one of the nation's leading ADHD telehealth providers. He is a past Ernst & Young Michigan Entrepreneur of the Year and companies he has led have received national accolades in areas including growth and innovation. 
Keith has been a speaker on future trends, including testimony before state and national government bodies on business innovation, and has highlighted emerging marketing trends at the Latin American Marketing Association annual conference, among many other things. We are super excited to welcome you today, Keith. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and looking forward to the conversation. I want to point out that Keith is actually physically here with me at River City Studios, which I can't remember, Megan, the last time I've oh, had somebody in the year. studio with me. So it's mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah. I mean, and we've got we've got our tech on the other side of the glass, but it's nice to actually have Keith in here. So uh, welcome, Keith. It's been a long time. Let's dive right into the topic. So uh, data-driven marketing. I want to focus first on your definition. Oh, thank you for the question, because when I committed to speak on data-driven marketing, yeah, I thought I knew what it was, and I went out to look up the classic definitions, and they're all over the place, and I didn't even agree with a lot of them. Uh, but I think the, the best definition of data-driven marketing is it's using data, whether your organization's internal data or external data you pull in, to drive your marketing outreach and to refine your marketing outreach. Okay. Megan, did you want to ask him the question about the exploitative exp- exp- how do you say it? Exploitative. <laughs> so in your in your slide, because I wrote it down verbatim, it said the exploitative use of data to reach your customer in a relative context. And I know that later we had a question too, where we were talking about the ethical point of uh, you know data and privacy. And Megan pointed that out. She's like, doesn't that have a negative connotation? And I we thought we were just it, curious. Yeah. So why that word that you used in your definition? I am so delighted that. Um, there is an awareness of that word exploitive, exploitative, because I, I consciously thought about that before I put that in. And exploiting can be positive or it can have a flip side, too. And so I'll defer the, the ethical is a very important part of data-driven marketing. But exploitative means your organization's knowledge of a consumer, of a, of a marketing target can be exploited. It's often sitting there. And you can use that information to kind of exploit what you know about them. And I, I use that triggering, triggering word intentionally because it's not just queuing up. Uh, somebody chucked a box that they like candied yams, so send them a candied yam ad. It might be an awareness that somebody has consumer traits like uh, fondness for Norman Rockwell paintings and a uh, you know big into the holidays and a propensity for seasonal spend, you can exploit that. And that's what I, I use that word exploit to kind of differentiate between the simple layup, you know, checkbox marketing outreach to going a little more deeper of what you know about a marketing target. All right. Well, I appreciate the clarification there. Josh and I were chatting about that earlier and I was like, that's, that's a great question. Let's ask him what he means uh, by that. So I appreciate that. Um, we do want to jump in to, so you kind of talked to us a little bit about your top secrets right of data-driven marketing and you you start with this swimming analogy and i have to say keith um in listening to your presentation um for those listeners out there who don't know i have a horrible fear of bridges partly because of your fear as well keith of like plummeting into water and having you know water over your head so when you were explaining your your horrible car crash i was my anxiety was up there with you but maybe you can kind of give us a brief overview of how this analogy and you swimming and your goal to swim the Straits of Mackinac, um, how that really led into data-driven marketing. 
Sure. And this is a, a true story. It sounds like a stretch, but every bit of it is based on real life events. Um, but I first became aware of this analogy between data-driven marketing and my swimming experience at a cocktail party uh, a while back. And I randomly ran into somebody and uh, you know, they mentioned they were in marketing. I said, oh, that's so cool. Uh, the initiative uh, yeah, we're doing at my the organization I was with at the time relates to artificial intelligence and machine learning driven marketing outreach. And, you know, they started talking like leveraging data for marketing. And there was seven or eight people around us when this conversation sparked. And quite quickly, one person said, oh, uh, excuse me, I got to go to the restroom. Another person had to refill their drink. Another person said, oh, I'm sorry, I got to go help the host wash the dishes. And the host wasn't even washing the dishes. So anyway, the crowd quickly dispersed when we talked about nerdy data-driven marketing. And then somebody swung by that I knew that I, that knew that I did this swim that I'll describe in a second. Say, hey, Keith, tell me about this swim. And this swim, I heard you sw swim across the Mackinac Straits. Is that true? You swim under the Mackinac Bridge? And yeah, and I started talking about that, and people gathered around. And the striking thing was the core points I made about the swim, have a goal, you know, kind of test yourself, test your theories in advance, and measure them. And then once you start executing, refine, refine, refine. That's how I did the swim, and that's exactly how I approached data-driven marketing. So that's what led me to say, aha, there's some similarities here. Uh, the swim itself uh, was committed to with some friends that were far more experienced swimmers. I agreed to do the swim across the Straits of Mackinac, four miles. And uh, I had a fear of water even before I agreed to it. After I agreed to it, I was in a, in a on a business meeting in the West Coast. and was in a car that rolled down a hill and clunked upside down. And I heard the water filling the car. Uh, which didn't go over too well, given I was a little bit afraid of water over my head anyway. Couldn't get out of my seatbelt. Uh, it ends well, since I'm here today, but uh, finally got out of my seatbelt, hanging upside down, clumped to the, you know, the bottom of the top of the car, and um, crawled my way out and landed on the, gra on the grass. It turns out I was not upside down in water. There's a hissing of the airbags. I was upside down in a field of grass after rolling down the hill. So I made it out okay, uh, but my fear of water was a little heightened and I'd already committed to do this swim. Uh, subsequently, my friends all dropped out even before we started. So I was left alone to do the swim. The swim was my, you know, even though I was hanging upside down in the car, I actually thought, I've committed to the swim. I can't go out like this. So I was very focused on finishing that swim, but I was in way over my head, no pun intended. And I, I pulled all kinds of data and the data was, some of the data was false data, like swimming friends that said, no problem, you know, you can do this. And, you know, you have a floaty device, you have to tow this buoy that will keep you safe. That was bad data from expert, from domain experts. Turned out, as I learned more about the swim, this buoy was not intended as a life-saving device. It's just an orange spotter so they could see you or perhaps your floating dead body if you, <laughs> if you succumb to the swim. So there's no life-saving devices. But I studied currents. I studied temperature. I studied wind. I studied swim techniques. And I studied the spans on that Mackinac Bridge. 
built my whole approach on data, 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 did the swim. A lot of my theories worked, some didn't. I had to refine on the fly. Um, currents were severe, pushing people over to Mackinac Island in that direction. I think like 80 of the 400 swimmers were pulled out because they were pushed away by the currents. Um, I was slow, but I was steady. And just like in data-driven marketing, I refined, 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 and kept my eye on the goal. At one point, some huge waves flipped me upside down. I came up for a breath, shoved me down again, again, again. Another piece of false data, many of my swimming expert friends had said, you have to be in a wetsuit, you have to have this buoy. You couldn't possibly drown. They were wrong, because in that moment, I thought, you could easily drown out here. Uh, the water was 300 feet deep, but end of the story, I made it, targeted the goal, did the data research, refined based on the data, adjusted my tactics and what I learned about the data. And that was my affirmation that the techniques uh, work and then led to my later discovery that uh, they kind of mapped to data-driven marketing as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so mm -hmm. let's talk about the the three secrets, because I know that you hinted on those in, in your conversation, but um, that will kind of follow the map of, of right now as we round out our discussion here. So what are the three secrets to data-driven marketing? So secret number one is have a goal, clear goal, and be unwavering. Um, this is, ironically is lost a lot of times in marketing. For example, if we're going to sell candied yams, we might say, hey, we're going to sell candied yams. It's not a clear goal because it makes a big difference on your execution tactics if you are trying to sell the most possible candied yams in one season, or if you're trying to position them with sales in a luxury good category and kind of like raise up the price and raise up the luxury good channel. So make sure you have a goal. You don't deviate and that it's, and, and that it's very, very clear. Uh, the second tactic is uh, to uh, extract the data, but don't trust it and test test, test. For example, your data about candied yams might say, yeah, you know, South Carolina and Michigan, you know, through this candied yam outlet that we have, have had similar sales. There's similar appetite. Uh, but if you dig a little deeper into the data, you might find that South Carolina sells candied yams year-round, where in Michigan they're a seasonal item. And that's why, you know, you start with the data, you study the data, never accept it at, at face value, and then measure and test you know, the data. And then the third, the third of the three secrets is just refine, refine, refine. And I think the marketing world, at least based on my work with um, you know, a number of marketeers, a number of agencies over the, the past years, still is coming around to the concept of agile sprint marketing. And it's especially important in data-driven marketing. The software development world many years ago recognized the challenges of what's called a waterfall approach where you plan everything out in advance, detailed plan, then you march forward, you know, stick to that plan, and then you're done. Uh, the problem of the software industry going a couple decades back, uh, and I started my career in the software industry, was that projects never got 
done on time or within budget or rarely about 70% of the time, a couple decades back, um, was unsuccessful and they often didn't meet the objective. And so gradually agile software development came many instruments with it from, you know, things called scrum and sprints, et cetera, but basically means tight, quick increments of reassessment. And that's super important in data-driven marketing, like tight, quick increments, reassess, question your data, kick your data, reinvent the campaign over and over and over and over. And that, that's what I call the third secret, refine. Great. Well, we're going to circle back to those three as uh, we kind of wrap up our discussion and, and really how you activate those and start to implement them. But before we do that, um, you talked a little bit about kind of a brief history of data-driven marketing, and it has been around, uh, you know, for a while, but I think it's still in its infancy as we learn how to refine that as, as a true kind of science in marketing. So can you talk a little bit about high-level, what the journey to today's kind of data-driven marketing looks like? Sure. You know, and data has always been out there for organizations, but it used to be extremely hard to access and liberate the data of it. Expensive, it took teams of smart technologists to pry data loose with, with the equivalent of, um, you know, bulldozers and, you know, to get that data loose. Today, we live in an era where the data is at hand. There's much, much, much more data generated. It's so much easier to get. We don't need bulldozers anymore. We don't even need crowbars. It's like they're just to grab it. Um, but that, that journey has been a, a journey of you know, several decades for the industry. Uh, the internet accelerated it, uh, but it's important to recognize that data-driven marketing doesn't mean just internet data. I often found when I talk to um, some of my uh, marketing friends about data-driven marketing, at first blush, they think it's you know, analytics that come from web page traversal or you know, click-through rates or um, you know, CPR or other standard internet metrics. Um, you know, those emerged on the scene over the past you know, couple, of, couple of decades and were early important beachheads for data-driven marketing because the data was there. It was easy. You could start to measure impact of marketing messages and you could start to form subsequent campaigns based on that data. But, you know, that's only the first later, layer. The far more important layer in data-driven marketing is organizational data. You know, if you're in healthcare, it's data about your customers' needs and history. If you're in candied yams, it's data about your customers' buying patterns and demographics and consumer preferences. And when you can start to unpry that data and then map it with the analytics of engagement and outreach that come from the web, but increasingly from other, other forms of digital engagement and non-digital engagement above and beyond the web, you can really make things happen. So uh, that's, that progression has been steady uh, and it's, it's come kind of a step at a time with breakthroughs like geolocating where you can understand a consumer's location um, easy convergence of data trends, uh, and um, you know so much more. And it's you can look at the steady march of easier ways to access data. I guess the other important point I would I would note on that is there is a 
a trend in the early 2000s uh, called business intelligence. At the time, I had a, a software and web uh, company called Sagestone Consulting. We were with lots of companies, and we launched a business intelligence practice. That practice was aimed at surfacing and liberating data that could be repurposed for other activities, including market insights. That practice didn't really take off business intelligence in 2002, 2003, 2004. It was ahead of its time. Business intelligence, that fancy name for getting at data, didn't work back then because the tools were not sophisticated enough. The heavy lifting was way too expensive and too time-consuming to unearth data. Fast forward to 2021, data's at our fingertips. We can easily get to it. It's a fraction of the cost to converge, converge data in 2021 compared to what it was in 2002. So we are in the, just the beginning of this golden age of being able to get at data. And I, I believe it's going to revolutionize and reinvent marketing. We're at the bare start of that phase. Speaking of the, the, the term you just said, the golden age, you had mentioned something called golden records in the journey to data-driven marketing, where we talked about all these things back from all the traditional media, TV, newspaper, radio. Um, I had never heard of that, and I don't, I don't remember if you did a, a show of hands, but I don't think a lot of other people did either. So what are golden records? The golden records is a trendy new term that's starting to surface in uh, early stages is the new buzzword for data-driven marketing customer records. And it indicates that you've collected all of the wonderful data about your customer and it pooled it together. And so you have this, this golden, perfect view of your customer once you take all the steps to pull it together. And as I shared at the, you know, the dialogue on golden marketing, I mean, the golden, the golden customer concept. I think golden customer is a doomed to fail concept because it's flawed in its premise. Even though I recognize it's the buzzword, there's, there's marketing experts across the nation that would probably vigorously disagree with me because they're pitching in presentations. But data today is dynamic and everywhere. If I want the data on, on me, you know, Keith Brophy, Nobody could possibly scoop that into a pile or even map out where to get it because it changes every day. You know, the parking meter I just parked at, the interact, the people I just interacted with for the first time today, the, you know, the purchase I just made. Data about us is abundant and everywhere today, and our very conversations are constantly absorbed by, you know, the voice, the voice device listeners. There's no way you can wrap it into one golden record or quantify it. Rather, I see the, uh, the ideal of capturing consumer data is recognizing it's fluid. The consumer data for Jane Doe today will be much different than the consumer data for the same Jane Doe in a week or a month or a year. And I think recognizing the fluidity of data is a key to the leading edge marketing approaches today. Yeah, and Keith, I'm curious, as, as we're talking here kind of about how the history of data-driven marketing and the evolution of it, how do you see data-driven marketing kind of changing with things like regulations like GDPR and CCPA, Apple's 
you know, iOS 15 blocking email trackers and, you know, things such as moving away from third-party data to first and zero-party data. How do you see it changing in the next couple of years? I think data-driven marketing is going to continue to evolve in the direction of deeply respecting consumer privacy. Uh, the use of third-party data, in other words, data from external sources, will continue to be challenged and you know, uh, ethically questionable at higher levels than in the past, whereas the use of first-party data, what you know directly about your customer, will likely flourish in my view. Uh, the privacy in data marketing, surfing requires leadership that's plugged in and aware, you know, you can't be trailing, your awareness cannot trail the field by a year in data-driven marketing. A lot of fields, again, in many types of uh, professions, if you're current, you know, basically with what was going on five years back, you're pretty current, but in data-driven marketing, you need to stay on top of it and successful organizations will um, have that mindset. Uh, the best example is facial recognition, which you know Facebook recently pulled down. Uh, if if you could come up with a slick data-driven marketing approach three years ago that perhaps leveraged facial recognition, it might have been controversial, but you maybe could have pulled it off if you were you know, say spotting customers and you know facially profiling them. Uh, today it would be a no-go uh, for most businesses anyway like the our norms of acceptableness and privacy um, are evolving so it takes a really current leadership mindset to steward through these times let's talk about applying the the secrets so the you mentioned some of the potential trusted data sources some potential techniques that can be used and then also steps of data driven marketing and i love i like how you tied it in and you had a great slide um maybe we can get a copy of that from you we can put it in the show notes but it had the three steps and then it had uh an outline with each of the three steps of some things that that you can do to to stay within within the secret so give us the uh the full circle how do we pull this all off there's a lot of tactical steps, but they'd start with that strategic step of the clear, clear goal. And then, you know, the build into the march to the goal is this concept of agile, repetitive cycles. Uh, there's a number of techniques that can be used for data-driven marketing. And a point I would make is that it's not just a digital toolbox. You know, and I'm the chief operating officer of ADHD Online. It's an exciting business. We are touching the lives of a lot of patients and growing rapidly in every state in the nation. And you know, we constantly assess our uh, digital outreach. There's so many channels of digital you can look at today, from paid search, you know, to paid social ads, and so much more. Um, so. I understand all the power of the digital outreach, but sometimes that can cause businesses to forget about the value of supplementing with traditional outreach like radio or you know, billboards or um, print pieces. And in many organizations, those are even handled by different groups. And the, the point of the 
techniques used is they should be viewed holistically and in a complementary fashion, whether you're thinking about influencers or digital or traditional. So the techniques can be identified up front, at least in the starting standpoint, and then coupled with the data that defines the strategy, you know, which, which states present the most candied yam opportunities, what are the personas of a candied yam user? You might think it is a you know, 50 and above female who's cooking think, you know, holiday dinners. But if you do a little research, you might just find that candied yams are super hot with college-age students because a TikTok influencer started a trend and exposed a whole new generation to candied yams. So you, you just don't know till you dig into the data and start to develop your personas. And you couple those techniques with what the data is telling you and the personas you want to outreach to, and you compose some hypotheses, then you launch those campaigns, but you keep them really tight and most importantly, super measurable. If you measurement is not perfect, what's called you know, attribution can never be perfect. If if I go to your website today and you're selling candied reams and I click through six different pages to get to my purchase. You might say, oh, this wonderful website led this consumer to click, 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 buy. So that worked and we can backtrack. Like he came to this site through this social media ad that worked. In reality, what might've happened is maybe I heard your, your radio advertisement, you know, three days prior and thought, I'm for sure gonna buy some candied yams as presents for my family. And um, then when your social media ad popped up, I already had it on my to-do list, but oh, this is just a fast track. And I, I paint out that example just to say, we can never know, it's impossible to know true attribution. The best we can do though is attempts at measurement and those guide our efforts enough to give us meaningful refinement. So as we take our techniques, we marry that with the data, we marry that with the personas, we need to wrap that around just ideas about measurement, recognize they're not perfect, and then have a pretty tight sprint, a couple of weeks maybe, and then totally go back and question and reinvent and revisit everything again and again and again until you reach your goal. So that's the, that's the melding of those three secrets. Have the goal, test and measure, refine, refine, refine with the broader approach. And I know you had a you had a slide on there that kind of breaks those down a little bit more granularly, and you've got some other steps. Um, one of them that I really liked was never totally trusting your data sources. Um, and I think you had talked about this earlier about the importance of having context to that data um, and not just taking things kind of at face value. Um, so I think that you know that's a really good point to to have. But one of the other things I want to ask is. What are some things that might hold organizations back from really leveraging data-driven marketing? I believe a real blocker for most organizations is the right creation of groups to drive data-driven marketing that have the right skill sets and empowerment. Data-driven marketing doesn't work so well when it's siloed, when there's a marketing team and there's a separate data team and maybe there's a few meetings about, you know, prying loose some data and, you know, building marketing upon it. Um, it works the best 
when there's a team of data savvy, data savvy, marketing savvy individuals that understand both worlds and are driving to the goal. Often, if it's a siloed approach, the data technologists just do what they're asked. They pry loose the data from the databases um, and you know they don't seek to dig or interpret and the marketeers um, receive that data, but they don't have the context, the tools, uh, or the empowerment to dig into that data, question it, you know, probe it deeply enough. And if the probing starts really in either direction, from the you know, IT data silo saying, why do you need this, to the marketeers saying, tell us where that data came from, it can quite quickly you know, trigger uh, siloed defensiveness. So a converged approach is the best. I don't see too many organizations yet that have the ideal converged approach. Um, one example might be if you're simply pulling forth customer contact information, uh, you may think you have ideal contact information, but you know, it, depending on the cycle of which it's collected and processed, you might, uh, you might have information that's two years old Depending on the pruning and the cleaning, you might have non-pruned data. You know, there's so many questions just about the most basic uh, fundamentals of information in terms of currency, um, how clean is the data, how is it cultivated, uh, and those are the kind of dialogues that should just be front and center. If you can have a marketing team and you can get a data scientist or a statistician on your team, go for it. Cause I, I completely agree. You've got to have that multidisciplinary team for sure. Well, I think Keith, we come back full circle because at the beginning of the podcast, we started, uh, we started talking about the ex exploitative ex exploitative <laughs> and, and we mentioned ethics and we had a great question on that at the lunch as well. So let's, let's end on that. And how do you approach data-driven marketing from an ethical standpoint? How do you balance that out with all the privacy policies, the stuff that we kind of touched on earlier. I believe every data-driven marketing you know, professional uh, has to own that and ask the ethical questions. Would I want data about me exploited in this fashion? You know, that's where it starts. Hopefully it's coupled with clear ethical guidelines from an organization about what can be done with with data. How deep can you go with consumer insights? Um, I believe very few organizations today, in my experience, uh, have guidelines on how to build data-driven marketing approaches. They may have privacy guidelines or they might align with you know, governmental or you know, regulations on privacy of data. Hopefully everybody does that. But the ethical use of data goes so much deeper. Um, it takes, you know, ideally each organization would have a data ethics committee, a multidisciplinary committee, and constantly revisit their policies about what they believe is acceptable. Is facial recognition acceptable in 2021? Uh, you know, I personally believe it's, it's not ethical. A few years back when it was new, I might have said it was ethical. I might have said there could be advantages to me as an individual, advantages to my family. 
So it's an evolving dynamic. So you, it really takes the combination of the beacon of a data ethics committee and this empowerment of individuals are stewards of what's right and asking ourselves, you know, would we want that ourselves? Every individual will be different. I have quite a high tolerance for my own uh, life in terms of how my data is exploited. I don't mind that my various devices listen to what I say. There's um, uh, more upside to me as a consumer than downside that I get those creepy ads for something. I was just thinking about, you know, three days ago talking with friends and, um, but many, you know, perhaps at a younger age, <laughs> I would not have welcomed that so much. So it's, we have to recognize it's different for every individual. We've got to look at it through it, through our own stewardship obligation. And if anybody is listening to this, you know, driving data-driven marketing at an organization where you don't have an ethics committee, I would demand it because that's, you know, it's what every organization needs and it's really what you know, society uh, benefits by today. It's a great suggestion. I like that. An ethics committee for sure. The one thing I'd add is that the traditional disciplines of marketing and data science should not be looked at as all-inclusive to this new era that we're in. You know, history majors, psychology majors, um, nearly anybody under the, the um, broad realm of uh, disciplines that make you think and question can be great fits for this era. And uh, I really see this as kind of the flourishing, blending era of disciplines. I started as a technologist in my career, uh, computer science, you know, then a major, then an MSIS, you know, master's, and was very data-driven in my early days in uh, formal training but then had some businesses where you know, we had to thrive and even just survive by our marketing outreach. So I had to uh, sink or swim by our marketing and uh, that, that served me well, like kind of learning by immersion. I think is when you build up data-driven marketing teams today, you know, be open to all types of backgrounds and ideas and swizzle them all together for best results. And if I may uh, plug the the podcast here, Megan, we had a great conversation back in episode 24, the Marketing Metric of the Future Trust with Cliff Seal of Salesforce. And we talk a lot about uh, kind of the ethical that we're, we're talking about here of, you know, the consumer um, having control and being cognizant of, you know, their, their data and what is being shared. So anybody that wants to delve a little deeper on that topic, that's a great resource as well. So uh, check that out on our website, uh, amawestmichigan.org forward slash podcast. And of course, that's uh, on any of your players if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and where all great podcasts can be heard. Beautiful plug, Josh. Yeah, thank you. Whenever we can. <laughs> Whenever we can get that in there. So, Keith, again, thank you for uh, coming by and, and talking to us. Of course, we before we let you go, we do want to ask a few questions just about you and what makes you tick. So based off of uh, Simon Sinek's starting with why, what is your why? And my why is making a difference in the world and touching lives in my own modest way. Nice. Nice. And congrats on the swim, by the way. I just, I have to ah. say that. I mean, that's a, I'm, I'm a swimmer as well. And that would be, uh, that would be an intimidating swim to anybody. And I, and I also have to, um, I have to agree. You said, you know, the, one of the things that freaks you out is, is being in, in the deep water where you can't see the bottom. 
I would, I have the same thing. Um, I would have to imagine that a lot of people probably share in that as well. So we're probably all in the same boat. Yeah. Well, thank you. It felt so good to get out on the other side after this one. I bet. I can imagine. Well, kind of speaking of that, because I think that was an inspirational event in and of itself for you to do that. Who or what inspires you, Keith? I admire um, and am inspired by a lot of people. Um, most of all, you know, f- friends and family, just you know, people in my everyday life that are just so awesome, and there's so many. But in terms of uh, uh, beacon with some celebrity wrapped around it, I would say um, you know the tech innovators. I've done a lot of reading about, especially some of the. Uh, uh, the old school ones like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, um, not you know, perhaps not perfect human beings, but fascinating on studying the way they think. And my other passion is uh, singer songwriters, you know, singers that write their own material. I have a broad list of uh, of them, but uh, one uh, that I'm a big fan of, I've seen in concert you know, many times, is the is the singer Pink. So that's really kind of a broad range of inspiration. Oh. I would not have pigged you for a what do you call him? A pink fan, a pink head, or a is there a does she have a fan club? Are you in her fan club? I'm not in her fan club, but um I've uh, only for only for not getting around to it, probably. Fan. <laughs> yeah. You would be if you could. That's yeah. awesome. I love it. I love it. All right. What are you currently reading or listening to uh, if you're into podcasts or well that you're you're loving or a favorite book or podcast? I just finally got around to listening to Matthew McConaughey's uh, Greenlight book. It's oh, you know, yeah. kind of the cliche, but I, yeah, I loved it. I found it thought provoking. I digest a lot of my books on uh, Audible. That's how I listened to that one. And uh, I thought it really thought provoking. So that was cool. Yeah. Keith, I, I also on Audible, and I mean, I think having Matthew McConaughey tell the story in his voice, I mean, sure, it's probably great to read the book, but uh, I would also highly recommend that I just listen to that one. Uh, great and very entertaining as well. I had no idea yeah. that he had such a crazy, whew, wow, what a life. For sure. Yeah. Based on what you've learned throughout your career, which sounds. You've just had a lot of really great opportunities. What is one piece of advice that you would offer up to others? You know, it sounds so cliche, but um, it's so true. You know, I've, I've had a uh, great career, worked with so many awesome people, been a part of great teams. And I would say the overriding key to fulfillment, making a difference, and it maps to business success too, is you know, do the right thing. You know, try to do what you believe to be personally right. Or if you're a team leader, you know, lead teams in that direction. And it usually works out on the fulfillment, the personal and the business outcome, you know, best possible result front. Mm -hmm. Excellent advice for sure. And if you don't think you know what's right, you can ask your ethics team. Absolutely. That's why you need an ethics team. Well, thank you again, Keith, for joining us today. Really great to chat with you. Um, if our listeners want to reach out or have any additional questions, how can they go about reaching? Are you, are you on LinkedIn? or? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the Keith Brophy at ADHD Online. I'm also at kbrophy.us at gmail.com is a good email to reach out to me on. Perfect. 
Awesome. Well, thank you, Keith. Thank you for uh, coming and having lunch with us and sharing some of your great knowledge and also for joining us on the podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Again, please take our podcast survey. Give us your feedback. We want to know how we're doing. What topics do you love? What would you like to hear more about? What would you like to hear less of? The survey link will be posted in the show notes of this podcast, and you'll also have a chance to win a ticket to one of our upcoming events, be it in person, we'll give you lunch, or uh, virtually is well, that will work as well. Don't forget, as always, we welcome your feedback anytime time, shoot us an email, podcast at amawestmichigan.org. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you are listening to our podcast. And if you're not yet an AMA member, what are you waiting for? Just $150 a year, you get access to free training, certifications, tools, resources, discounts, academic journals, job boards, and unparalleled networking opportunities. Serious, the people that I've met and the business connections I've made uh, through our local AMA are just um, are just invaluable. Yep. Log on to amawestmichigan.org. Join our local West Michigan chapter. If you're not in West Michigan, visit ama.org for AMA national information and to find a chapter near you. And, uh, you know, Megan, with a lot of people doing hybrid and virtual events now, uh, the, the nice thing is you can really attend uh, many of our what do we call them? Are they sister chapters, brother oh, chapters, oh, yeah. oh, like sibling that. chapters, chapters. <laughs> sibling chapters, sibling oh, I chapters, like sibling I, chapters. I've attended uh, a couple, and I, I attended one in um, in Iowa not too long ago, which was really oh, nice. cool. Which I guess silver lining of the pandemic and virtual events is is now we have the opportunity to do that. So jump around, check out some uh, other yeah. other AMA presentations, and as I said, um, get on board with the AMA. It's a great organization. There's a lot, I will just say, there's a lot of AMA chapters on Instagram. So if you're an Instagram person, check them out. They post a lot of their their luncheon events and there's others that have podcasts. There's just a lot of really good information and cool marketers out there. So definitely, definitely check it out. All right. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is AMA.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe and share our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Don't forget important links, content, and resources will be included in the show notes for this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. What will you do with the information you learned today? Be inspired. Be creative. Be bold. Set your marketing in motion.